what would you say? If you're reading your Bible in a public place and someone walked up to you and said, what's that book about? How would you answer that question? How would you summarize the teachings of the Bible? What would you say? Well, years ago, I was in Greek class in seminary, and my professor shared with us a a summary statement of the story of the Bible. And it really captured my heart because I believe it encapsulated what the Bible is about. It was really helpful to me to see this summary. So if you look there in your notes, I've given you a, a summary of God's Word. And here it is, written by Kendall Easley. The Lord God, through His Christ, is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for His own glory. The Lord God, through His Christ, is graciously building what? A kingdom of redeemed people for His own glory. Let's read that together. You ready? The Lord God, through His Christ, is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for His own glory. I believe that encapsulates the teaching of the Bible, the teaching of God's Word. It it summarizes it. And, And here's what I want to get across to you today. If that's what God is doing in human history... That's what the Bible's about, about him building this kingdom of redeemed people for his own glory. If that's what God's all about, that's what I want to be all about. I don't want to miss the activity of God in this world, especially when he invites me into that activity. And so whatever God's about, we want to be about the same thing. Our church needs to be a part of what God is doing in the world. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, we're going to read verse 19. Psalm 103, verse 19. We're going to take a break from Acts for about five weeks, and we're going to reemphasize who we are as a church, the direction we're headed. This is a a vision series of sermons. And uh, in, in about... Uh, four weeks, I'm going to roll out for you a new logo, and, and these different components I'm going to share with you tie into our new logo, and we'll see all that in a, in a few weeks. I'm excited about that, but it's a great chance for us just to remember who we are as a church, the kind of church we, we are and want to be, and the direction that we're headed. And you'll see our new logo has four major components or pieces to it, and it corresponds to the four parts of this sermon series. Uh, This week, I want to talk to you about kingdom citizenship because our vision is to expand his kingdom across the street and around the world. So one part of that vision is kingdom citizenship. What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Next week, and I want you to be here next week, we're going to talk about kingdom families, uh, what a kingdom family looks like. It's going to be an important time next week as we talk about that, especially in the midst of what's going on in our culture. We're going to 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 just reemphasize what the Bible says about a kingdom family. And and then the next week, we're going to talk about kingdom connections, getting people together for discipleship and mentoring so they can grow in their faith in the Lord. We're going to talk a lot about that as we speak of kingdom connections. Then the next week, we're going to talk about kingdom advance, uh, growing the kingdom, getting the kingdom to the ends of 
the earth. And then the final week, the fifth week, we're going to talk about the center of who we are as a church and the center of it all, which is the gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that uh, in, in five weeks. And so we're going to just walk through this sermon series one piece at a time. But this morning, I want to talk to you about kingdom citizenship. If we're a church that's going to expand its kingdom across the street and around the world, then we've got to understand what kingdom citizenship is all about. So look there with me, Psalm 103. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His what? His kingdom rules over all. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. and Lord, we're grateful that through Christ, through the finished work of Christ, we can draw near to you. And your word says that, that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So God, I pray that you would help us to experience your very real presence in this place. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave knowing that we have encountered the living God. And God, I pray that we would leave this place transformed. And we would leave this place, Lord, surrendered to your will and to your way. Lord, I pray today that we would be fully committed to being about what you're about. Building a kingdom of redeemed people through your Christ for your glory. Help us to understand this, Lord. We'll thank you and praise you for that grace. We offer you this prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we think about kingdom citizenship, I want to make three comments about the kingdom of God that hopefully will inform us and and, and motivate us. Now, just uh, just a quick word. This this sermon series is going to be a little bit different. Usually I take one passage of Scripture and exegete, break it down, and all of that. We're walking through the book of Acts uh, this year, but we're taking a break from that. I'm going to be kind of different places in the Bible today. We're going to look at different passages to try to get at this, this idea of kingdom citizenship. So I want to give you three aspects of the kingdom that will help us to understand this better. Number one, the kingdom of God has a king. Now that's logical, isn't it? The kingdom of God has a king. It mentions there in Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. And if you look over in Psalm chapter 2, there's some information about the king sitting on his throne. Look what it says in Psalm 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So the psalmist here is painting a picture of kingdoms in conflict. You have the kingdom of God, Then you have a kingdom that is of this world that is full of enemies of God. And these kingdoms come into conflict. But look how God responds to his enemies in the next verse. 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. Question, is God threatened by his enemies? The answer is no. He's not threatened by his enemies. He, he's the one sovereign over the universe. And it says, he, he, he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to his enemies in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then the scene shifts, and the king speaks here. Look what it says. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. So God the Father says to the Son here, The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So Psalm 2 paints a very vivid and clear picture. There are two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And the king of the kingdom of God is none other than King Jesus, the Son of God. And the Bible is clear. If you don't follow him, if you don't serve him, if you don't pay homage to him, if you don't, if you don't ascribe to the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life, then you are in the kingdom of this world. And listen to me, that kingdom ends badly. The Bible speaks of wrath and fury. And if you don't embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, as your King, then you are in the kingdom of this world and you will face everlasting destruction in that awful place called hell. You see, where a person spends eternity is based upon what they do with King Jesus here in this life. So you and I have a choice. There are two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world, which ends in destruction, and the kingdom of God, and, and Jesus reigns over that kingdom. And if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you've got to follow the Son. You've got to, you've got to ascribe to the Lordship of Christ over your life. So the kingdom of God has a king, and his name is Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king of the kingdom of God. Now I want to make a few comments about the nature of this kingdom over which Jesus rules and reigns. You see, the kingdom of God is now invisible as Jesus rules and reigns in the hearts of his people. Right now, the kingdom of Jesus is an invisible kingdom. You can't see it with physical eyes because his authority is exercised in the hearts of redeemed people. As a matter of fact, turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. It says in verse 13, He, the Lord, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, not only have you experienced forgiveness of your sins, and not only have you been given the hope and promise of heaven, and not only do you have a relationship with God whereby you can call Him Father, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been transferred from one kingdom to another kingdom. 
you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And King Jesus is the king of this kingdom. So what a privilege that you are, through Christ, a part of the kingdom of light. And King Jesus exercises his authority as he rules and reigns in your heart. And so theologians say the kingdom is invisible now. Some theologians say the kingdom is, is now but not yet. It's now in the fact that it's invisible as Christ rules and reigns in the hearts of his people. It's like the old hymn says, O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee, for thou in thine atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. If you are a follower of Christ, your heart is his throne. He's ruling and reigning in your heart. And every time someone who is lost places their faith in Christ, his kingdom grows because he's ruling and reigning in another human heart, right? And so right now the kingdom is invisible. Christ rules and reigns in our hearts. But I want you to know there's coming a day when the rule and reign of Christ will be visible as Jesus exercises his rule over all humanity. Philippians 2 speaks of this when it says that there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So those who love Jesus and have experienced his rule and reign in their heart will say, Jesus is Lord. And those who don't love Jesus, those who are enemies of Christ, will bow their knees and they will say, Jesus is Lord. All of humanity will recognize the supreme authority of Christ and every eye will see the kingdom of God coming to this earth and Jesus Christ ruling and reigning forever and ever and ever and ever. And so the invisible kingdom taking place in our hearts will one day become visible as Jesus Christ sets up his rule and reign in the new heavens and the new earth. And so the kingdom of God has a king. Now this is, this is pretty, a pretty simple illustration, but I think it drives the point home. Let's just say that you were given the, the, the choice to live in one of two countries. And both countries were monarchies. They both had kings. One country had a king who uh, has a king who's evil, diabolical. He, he destroys his citizens. He, he ruins lives. He's out to get you. That's, that's the first option. This other country has a king who is wise and benevolent, and provides for his citizens, and protects his citizens, and lavishes his goodness upon his citizens. Now, just from an earthly perspective, which kingdom would you choose? Would you choose the one with the king who's out to get you, or would you choose the one with the wise, benevolent, gracious king? It wouldn't be much of a choice, would it? But isn't it interesting that people will refuse Jesus Christ? And reject him. And listen, and choose to stay in the kingdom of darkness. Where the Bible says Satan is like a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. People choose the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of light. And what a tragedy that is. Because if you'll embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be transferred to a brand new kingdom. And King Jesus is good. He's wonderful. He loves you. He will lavish His grace upon you if you'll be a citizen of this kingdom. And so, 
the kingdom of God has a king. His name is Jesus. Invisible now, one day it will be visible. Number two, the kingdom of God has citizens. Every kingdom has citizens. And and the kingdom of God has citizens. Who are these citizens? Well, look over in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John sees this exalted vision. Look what he says about Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Speaking here of Jesus Christ, he says, second part of verse 5, "...to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen." So he's speaking of Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus has made us a kingdom. In other words, when I embraced Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I was brought into his kingdom, the kingdom of God. You might say it like this. When I was saved, I became a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. And every kingdom has citizens. The kingdom of God has citizens. So here's the big question. How do you become a kingdom citizen? If you want to step out of the kingdom of darkness and be transferred to the kingdom of light, how's that happen? Is there a, a ceremony you go through or naturalization you have to go through to be a part of this, this kingdom? Well, the Bible's very clear how you enter this kingdom. Turn over to John chapter 3, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking with the religious leader Nicodemus. It says that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. And in verse 2 it says, He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. We know, uh, uh, we, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, listen, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It goes on to say, Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? He's not getting the metaphor here. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's natural birth, and the spirit, that's supernatural birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is very, very clear. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. If you look there in your notes... When a person hears the gospel and is saved, they become kingdom citizens. That's how you enter the kingdom. You must be saved. You must be redeemed. You must be born again. So here's what that means. That means that denominational affiliation doesn't get you into heaven. Right? Being a Baptist doesn't get you into the kingdom of God. Being baptized doesn't get you in the kingdom of God. Going through a confirmation class doesn't get you into the kingdom of God. Being a good neighbor doesn't get you into the kingdom of God. Taking good care of your family doesn't get you into the kingdom of God. Jesus is clear. If you want to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. So how do I become a kingdom citizen? 
You turn from your sins. You believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead, that he's your only hope. You embrace him as your personal Lord and Savior. You call on his name, ask him to save you. And at that moment, you're born again. You're redeemed. You're converted. You're saved. And you become a kingdom citizen. What a great joy, right? So you've got to be saved to be a kingdom citizen. But here's another question. What does it mean to be a kingdom citizen? What does it mean? I mean, what does it, what does it mean for your life and my life that we are now citizens of the kingdom? Well, think about it like this. Kingdom citizens have privileges and responsibilities, much like being a citizen of the United States. As a citizen of this country, I have privileges, right? I have freedom to worship. I have freedom of speech. I have the right to vote. I have protection from our armed forces and, 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 and others. I make mean, it go on and on with all the privileges of being a citizen of the United States. But being a citizen also means I have some responsibilities, correct? To positively contribute to society, to exercise my right to vote, to respect and obey local, state, and federal laws, to pay my fair share of taxes, and we could go on and on with the different, the different responsibilities we have as citizens of the United States. Well, in a like manner, if you are a part of the kingdom of God, if you've been born again, you have great privileges, but you also have extraordinary, wonderful, joyous responsibilities. So what are my, what are my privileges as a kingdom citizen? Well, listen, you belong to the king. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that we are a, a royal priesthood, a, a, a chosen nation. God has, has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So now, as citizens of, of the kingdom of God, we personally belong to the king. We have a personal relationship with the king. That's extraordinary. For example, let's just talk about the the leader of the United States of America, the President of the United States. Call the White House today and see if you can get an audience with the President. See how that goes for you. Say, hey, I'd like to speak to the President, please. And, and see how that works out. Well, guess what? Jesus is so much greater than any world leader. But we have access to Him any time we want. Listen, as kingdom citizens, we can talk to the king anytime we want, as long as we want. And we can walk with the king every single day. That is a privilege, right? We belong to the king, a personal relationship with the king. But we also have responsibilities. Over in Matthew 28, it says that we're to make disciples of all the nations. That means... That we go to people that are lost and we share the gospel with them so they can hear the good news that Jesus saves. And when they respond to Christ, they call on his name to save them. They then enter the kingdom and Jesus rules and reigns over a new heart. And when that person enters the kingdom, Jesus said, here's our responsibility. We baptize them, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then we teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded so our job, our privilege as, as kingdom citizens is to grow the kingdom by introducing other folks to the kingdom and then teaching them to obey the king. Teaching them to live for the glory of the king. That is our responsibility. We have a responsibility to represent the king with holy lives. 
That's our responsibility to show people the difference that Jesus Christ makes. We are called to be holy for He is holy. That's our responsibility. It is a wonderful responsibility, but it is one that we all bear. And so kingdom citizens, just like American citizens, have privileges and responsibilities. But notice, the kingdom of God has citizens. And there is, listen, what greater joy is there than knowing you're a citizen of that kingdom? The kingdom of light and life and goodness and joy and fulfillment and purpose and meaning and peace. There's nothing like being a part of the kingdom of God. But there's a final thing I want you to see about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has a king, and the kingdom of God has citizens. But third, the kingdom of God has... This is good. The kingdom of God has room. It has room. And there's a parable that illustrates this. Turn over to Luke chapter 14 with me. Luke 14, I want to show you a parable that Jesus shares that really highlights this point. Luke 14, verse 12. Jesus is talking to a group of people here. And in verse 12 it says, He also said to the man who had invited him to a, to a banquet, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus here is saying, there's something amazing about grace. When you invite people to be blessed, not because they will reciprocate and bless you in return, but just because you want to show them grace. There's something special about grace, right? And as Jesus makes this point, uh, the listener here, one of the listeners, gets excited about the teachings of Christ. And look what he says in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So this man gets excited about Jesus and what he's teaching. He says, it's going to be great to be in the kingdom of God. So this man brings up the kingdom. And look what Jesus says next in that context. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Now the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to, to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that there will be people who are invited to the kingdom of God who will refuse the invitation because they love the world too much. That's what he's saying. They're too in love with what's going on in the world to follow Christ and be a part of that kingdom. So it says there in verse 21, so the servant who had invited these people came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. Watch this. And still there is room. I like that. 
Jesus says, go and invite everyone you can. Those who are outcasts in society, go and lavish my grace upon them by inviting them to the kingdom of God. And the servant says, we've invited all kinds of folks. And still there is room. Listen to me. Because there is room in the kingdom, we are to invite all people. That's our job. As a church, as individual Christians, as kingdom families, our job is to invite everyone we can and say, there's room in the kingdom for you. You can experience the kingdom of light. You can experience a personal relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's room for you. Because there's room in the kingdom, we should invite everyone we can to come, right? But secondly, because there is room, we are to invite others with great urgency. Look what happens in the next verse. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. I like that word compel there. Compel people. That word speaks of of urgency. It speaks of an urgent appeal or an urgent plea. And so we, as followers of Christ, as kingdom citizens, are called to go to a lost and dying world with urgency and say, there's room in the kingdom for you. You can be a citizen of the kingdom of God if you will embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's changed my life. He can change your life. We are to have that kind of urgency. You know, one of the many disasters or uh, tragedies of the Titanic was that the builders and crew of the Titanic were overconfident. They believed that the Titanic was unsinkable. And so they didn't put enough lifeboats on the deck. If there would have been enough lifeboats, more people could have been saved. Most people could have been saved. But because there were not enough lifeboats... We know all about the tragedy of the Titanic. Of all those that perished beneath the icy waters of the North Atlantic. There wasn't enough room to save folks. Well, isn't it a joy to know as citizens of the kingdom of God that there is room. And we can invite people to be saved by placing their faith in. In Jesus Christ alone. There is room. And so there is urgency on our behalf to let people know there's room. Come and be saved. There's room in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine with me for a moment that you were there on the night the Titanic sank and you discovered an empty lifeboat? Can you imagine the urgency you would have? Hey, get in the boat. There's room. Get in the boat and be saved. There's room in the kingdom of God. Let's call out to a lost and dying world with urgency and plead with them, appeal to them, persuade them. That's what the word compel means, to get into the kingdom through Jesus Christ. So here's the point of of all that I've said. If I had to sum up this idea of kingdom citizenship, which is what I'm trying to get across to you today, our vision, which is expanding God's kingdom across the street around the world, 
our vision is to expand God's kingdom by introducing everyone everywhere to Jesus. So they can enter the kingdom and live joyfully as kingdom citizens. That's what I mean by kingdom citizenship. Our vision is to expand God's kingdom by introducing everyone everywhere to Jesus so they can enter the kingdom and live joyfully as kingdom citizens. That's what we want to be about as a church. Now, let me give you just some brief action steps. Wait, how can I practically do this? How can I be a, a person that introduces others to the kingdom? How can I see this happen in my day-to-day life? Let me give you some action steps. I think i got about eight of them here. I'll walk you through these quickly. Or seven, no, eight. got eight. Number one, first action step is be conspicuous. And this is so important. Be conspicuous. By that I mean, let your light shine. Don't hide your Christianity. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Let people know that Jesus really does make a difference in people's lives as they see the difference he makes in your life. Be conspicuous. Listen to me. Do people in your school or in your workplace, in your neighborhood, do they know that you're a follower of Christ? Do they know that? Do they see that in the way you live, the way you treat people, your priorities? I mean, it could be as simple as, if you have a break, read your Bible. Pray before your meal and thank God for the food He's given you and His provision for your life. Be conspicuous. Don't be ashamed of Christ because He's good and other people need to see the difference that Jesus makes. John Bunyan was a Baptist pastor in the 17th century. He spent a lot of time in jail for preaching the gospel. And he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. But before that time, he was a young man struggling with his eternal condition. He did not have the salvation of his soul nailed down. He was struggling about his spiritual condition and what he needed to do. And he felt his lostness. Well, John Bunyan records in his book, Grace Abounding for the Chief of Sinners, he records... That one day he was in town and he overheard three, what he calls, poor women standing and having a conversation. And he says these three women were simply talking to each other about Jesus. About what Jesus had done for them. The blessings of being saved and redeemed. And they were just having a a personal conversation amongst themselves about the Lord. I mean, they were just excited about being saved. This young man, John Bunyan, overheard their conversation, and God used that to move him towards the Lord. Eventually, he was saved and became a Baptist pastor. Amazing. Because these three ladies were conspicuous. Their Christianity stood out. They let their light shine. And so a very easy step when it comes to evangelism is this. Just be a Christian. Let people see That Jesus has changed your life. Number two, make friends. This past week at our 
Global Impact Conference, Lee Merck from Montana spoke and did a tremendous job reminding us that the gospel moves through relationships. And if we want to see the gospel move through relationships into people's lives who don't know Christ, we need to make friends with people that don't know Christ. So make friends. And I, I was just greatly challenged by the, the need in my own life and, and, and our church to just, just build relationships, care about folks, so that we can share the gospel with them. Make friends. The gospel moves best through relationships. I hope that you'll make friends of people uh, with people that don't know the Lord and, and not with strings attached and not to manipulate. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to be your friend so you can hear the gospel, but hey, I'm going to be your friend and I'm going to share the gospel. And even if you say no to Jesus, I'm still going to be your friend because I love you and I care about your soul. Make friends. Number three, invite people to worship and to your connect group. One of the untapped um, resources in the church today is personal invitation. I've shared this with you before, but Tom Render did some research of unchurched people years ago, and he said that out of those researched that weren't in church anywhere, eight out of ten said they were at least somewhat likely to attend if personally invited. That's eight out of ten. That's eighty out of one hundred if if personally invited. Or at least somewhat likely say, okay, I'll come. But here's the sad reality. Only 2% of those that are followers of Christ ever invite an unchurched person to church. That's 2 out of 100. Think about that. So do you see the gap? I believe there are all these folks that if they're personally invited, they'll come. But we've got to invite them. So when's the last time... You invited an unchurched person to worship. When's the last time you invited an unchurched person to your connect group, to your, your small group of believers? When's the last time you did that? There's power in personal invitation. Number four, bless in order to build bridges into people's lives. About a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, I shared a strategy called Bless Hernando. The B stands for benevolence and businesses. The L stands for law enforcement and first responders. The E stands for evangelism. The S stands for schools. The other S stands for support groups. And I said, listen, we're going to, to focus on these different groups and love them and build relationships with them and encourage them so that we can let them know that we care about them. And here's the deal. When we let people know we care about them, we're letting them know that Jesus cares about them because we do it in the name of Jesus, right? And so you'll hear more about this in the coming days about ways you can bless Hernando and these different groups. We started three weeks ago, Celebrate Recovery, and it's grown every week. And I was there this past Friday. It was just amazing to see how God's just adding to the numbers there. And, and people are showing up that want to be encouraged People that have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and, and they're being encouraged from God's Word, and, and being encouraged that Jesus is the answer, and, and it's growing. And, and let me encourage you. If you're out there today and you say, wait, I need some encouragement. I, need, I, need some, I have some stuff. I need some help. Come on Friday night, 6 o'clock, we'll feed you. And you're in a group with folks, and, and you'll be encouraged. You, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be helped. You'll, you'll be challenged around a group of folks that will love you and show you grace. And maybe you know somebody in your life that's really hurting. 
bring them to celebrate recovery. It's a great ministry, gospel-centered ministry to point them in the right direction because Jesus really is the answer. Listen, I really believe, as I wouldn't be doing this, I really believe that Jesus is the answer. How about you? So as we bless Hernando in all these different ways, every time we let somebody know we care about them, we're letting them know that Jesus cares about them and we're building a bridge into their life. Next, share your faith by telling your story in the gospel story. Share your faith with people. As you have those opportunities, share your personal testimony, what God has done for you, and share with them the story of Christ, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, what He did so we could be saved. Share your faith. And we'll talk some more about this in the coming days. We're going to give you some some evangelism training and things like that. But listen to me. Evangelism at its essence, listen, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. That's what evangelism is. Evangelism is not sitting on your moral high horse saying, you need to clean your life up. That's not evangelism. Because guess what? People can't clean their life up apart from Jesus. You couldn't clean your life up apart from Jesus. And if you're saved today, it's not because you just figured it out and you're better than other folks. It's because you've been a recipient of the grace of God. Amen? You found the bread. Now your job and my job is to go to people that are hurting and say, I know where the bread is. I know how you can be saved and redeemed and restored and forgiven and and, and transformed. His name is Jesus. And we have the privilege to introduce people to Christ. Next, be involved in church planting. So why do you say that? See, Peter Wagner wrote years ago, that church planting is the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven. Here's what he means by that. When you plant churches, people get saved. It's just that simple. So if you want to, be, if you want to see people saved, plant churches. We've planted churches in this area. Where we've got planters in North America, and we support them, and we're going to plant more churches and more church planters out in the coming days. And I want to encourage you to support church planting through the ministry of your love you point, and even consider God sending you out to go be a part of a church we plant, to be a part of the core group to help them get off the ground. As a matter of fact, there may be some here today within the sound of my voice, God may want you to go to Washington, D.C. and live there and be a part of the church planting team with Gregory and Sharina Williams. He may be calling you to go to Sioux City, Iowa, which, by the way, launches next week. And be a part of the church planning team with Richard and Amber Krausen. He may want you to move to Belfoo, South Dakota, like others have done. Be a part of a church planning core group with Stephanie and Kay Carson. God may be calling you out to be a part of a brand new church. And as we plant new churches that plant new churches, plant new churches, you have opportunities to go and be a part of a brand new church. And if you want to see people saved, support church planting. It's just that simple. When we plant churches... People get saved. Next, go on short-term mission trips. Go on short-term mission trips. We provide many opportunities. We prayed for a group in the last service. We're going to pray for a group today. And all throughout the year, we're sending people across North America and all around the world. Last service, we prayed for a group going to Myanmar, all the way on the other side of the globe. Today, in this service, we're going to pray for a group going to New Hampshire. And so North America, 
the rest of the world, we have opportunities for you to go. And here's the deal. These trips are in places that are in great need of the gospel. And, and you'll encounter people that are living in the domain of darkness. And they need to hear the good news. So they can be transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And you might be that instrument that God uses to share good news with those living in darkness so they can be saved. Short-term missions. You either go and share the gospel or encourage folks that are sharing the gospel, that are nationals or whatever, be a part of a strategy to build bridges. But, but, but there is opportunity for you to go on a short-term trip and impact the lost and dying. To impact the kingdom of darkness as you push back that darkness as Jesus saves. Amen? You say, Wade, well... You know, I've I've looked at those trips and and they're a lot of money. Look at me. I've never known anyone that says God's calling me to go that God did not provide for them the resources to go. I've never seen that happen. In in my almost 20 years of pastoral ministry, no one's ever come to me and said, Wade, God called me to go and I didn't have the resources. Never happened. Where God guides, He will provide. Amen? Go. Go. You say, wait, I'm not called to go. Show me that in the Bible. Show me that that chapter and verse. Go. It'll change your life. And it'll, it'll put you on the, listen, it'll put you on the front lines of kingdom expansion. And it's exciting to be on the front lines. Amen? And then last... Be conspicuous, make friends, invite people to worship into your connect group, bless in order to build bridges, share your faith by telling your story in the gospel story, be involved in church planning, go on short-term mission trips, but last, plant your life among unreached peoples. God may be calling you to go, not short-term, He may be calling you to plant your life somewhere in an area that has great need of gospel witness so you can make disciples right where He places you. You say, wait, that's, you're, you're asking too much. All right, I know we have the, you know, our evangelism strategies here in Hernando and bless Hernando and go on a short-term trip, but are you really seriously saying that God could be calling me to move from Hernando or from this area and plant my life in another area to make disciples? That's exactly what I'm saying. And don't say, well, the person down the road needs to hear this. No, you need to hear this. God may be calling you. God may be calling me. Our job is to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Amen? Wherever he leads. That's our job. And so God is going to continue. I believe because we pray for this to happen and we see it happen and we're going to see more of it happen. We are praying actively that God will call people out of our church body and send them somewhere for the sake of the gospel. We hate to lose people. Listen, we hate to lose people, but we love to send people. We love to send people. And so could it be God's calling you and your family to an area in great need of the gospel to plant your life and make disciples? Could that be the case for your life? Can you say, wherever he leads, I'll go? So Wade, what's what's the Bible about? What's God doing in the world? The Lord God through his Christ is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for his glory. That's what God's doing. And I want to be a part of what he's doing. Amen.